good to be together, isn't it? You know, uh, man, I like my times alone sometimes, but there's power when we get together, amen, as a church, whenever we share hope, whenever we worship together, pray together, there is something different about that. The scripture confirms that over and over again. Jesus told his disciples that there's something exponential that happens when you get together. Oh, there's power when you're alone. There's enough power for every fear, every element of worry and uncertainty. There's full forgiveness for whatever you need when you're alone. But when you are together, Jesus said, when two or more are gathered in my name, there's something different that happens. Because Jesus said, there I am in their midst. Now, does that mean there's something missing when I'm alone? No. But there's something different that happens when you are gathered with others in the name and for the purpose of glorifying Jesus. He says, when you do that, which is what we're doing today, he said, I am there. In his fullness, fullest expression of peace and glory and strength and power in presence, he says, I am there. So we all stand in that promise that he is here this morning. Amen? And, and ready to do something exponential. That's why we gather together, because there's something different that happens when we're together than when we are alone, than when we are apart. I'm going to keep fiddling with this until I get it right, and I'm going to stop fiddling with it. There's something different that happens now that we are together, and I, I believe that to be true. So I'm excited to get into our scripture this morning and see what he has to say. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. I'm going to start in verses one, or verse 1. We'll just start with a story that happens there, Acts chapter 12. It's the New Testament. Jesus has returned to heaven. The church is young. The church is new. The church is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit has been given to the church, and the disciples are walking in the strength of that. They are going just as Jesus said. They are walking just as Jesus said, just as the Holy Spirit's empowering them. And there are times when the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that there was favor from all the people, that everybody else was like, go church. <laughs> but there's also times that the world looks and says, no, church, you get back in your spot. This is too far for you. And that's something I think we have to always remember. The world is never going to say to us, Woohoo! We love everything about you, church. It's just not going to happen. And that's why, as a church, you can't make it your goal to please the world because they're not going to be ultimately pleased with our message, our way of life. It's just not going to happen. And you get to Acts chapter 12, you start seeing some of that happening, you start seeing some of the resistance. You start seeing some of the turbulence that comes with intentionally, passionately, outwardly following Jesus Christ. There begins to be struggle. But in the midst of that, that church who faces that struggle, when they gather together, they will experience exponential power and hope. Do you know that you were to look in history and across the world, you would find that the church has been its most pure and perhaps more powerful in the times that it has faced the greatest persecution. Mm. I don't like the idea of persecution, but I like the idea of Jesus being glorified. And I like the idea of the church being strong and whole and healthy and pure. Acts chapter 12, it says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Here in the story, you have two ruling groups, Rome and the Jews, and they are walking this tight line dance of power. 
Because they know, Herod knows, I can't do much if the Jews are not happy. They make up so many of who are part of the area, I can't afford to lose political clout with them. So Herod, who is king, it says, stretches out his hand to, to harass some from the church. Verse 2, then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Just let that sit in, sink in for just a moment. One of the leaders of the faith, one of the leaders in the church, in this new, young, powerful, vibrant church, one of the leaders is arrested and killed with a sword. Verse 3, and because he, Herod, saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Man, there was politics all the way back in the book of Acts. How about that? Because he knew it would gain him some political clout, he decided to persecute the church just a little bit more. I told you, they don't necessarily care for us all that much. And if we need to suffer so that they can gain some political power, They'll make it happen. And that's what happens here. He decides to seize Peter also. Now, Peter is the guy. He's the guy. He's the voice. He's the, the archetype picture leader that everybody looks to. And Herod knows, if I can cut off the head to this thing, I can stop it. Verse 3 goes on. It says, now it was during the days of unleavened bread. It's time, one of the Jewish celebrations. Verse 4, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Now, <clears throat> you would think this would be some really powerful, at least physically powerful guy. This is Peter, and it says that Herod had to bring four squads, four squads, that was four groups of four, 16 soldiers to guard one guy, and not because of his military strength or his physical strength but because of the strength of the Holy Spirit within him, they were terrified. Whoo! 16 soldiers to guard one man because this man represents a threat to a nation. Don't ever think that because you are one voice that you can't make a difference in a nation. One man, Peter, Herod put 16 soldiers on him to guard him, to put him in prison because one man is making a difference and it must stop. Mm. Verse 5. I'm just going to keep reading verse at a time today. It's going to look a little different. I'm not going to keep going up there a lot today. There's not going to be a lot on screen except for the verses. I don't have any flowery points or alliterated uh, titles for you today. But feel free to make some notes along the way. I believe there's some things that God wants to say to us. Verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. I love this verse right here. It's so important. Make a little note or something here because this verse is going to be necessary to us just a little bit later. Peter the leader is in prison. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, along with all these other believers, is a dangerous man to Herod and the Jews. Sixteen men guarding him. They put him in prison, and the church says, all right, folks, it's time to gather up and pray. They didn't just send a text out. They didn't just send a scroll around. They said, it's time to get together. 
There's power when the church gets together to pray. And this is what they do. They gather and they are praying for Peter. They are praying for themselves. It doesn't tell us exactly what they're praying, but they are praying. And I love the fact that it says they were in constant prayer. They're passionate prayer, persistent prayer. They're not giving up. This isn't just a sentence and we're done and now let's get on to the cookies and the cake. This is, we've gathered, we're going to pray and we're going to keep on praying. We've got some walls that need to be torn down. We've got some principalities that need to be torn down. We've got some differences that need to be made here. God is up to something. God is doing something and we've got to be involved in this. We're not going to dismiss this. We're not going to ignore this. We are part of this. Just because we can't go where Peter is and see what's happening to Peter is not going to stop us. We're going to passionately, consistently, constantly keep praying for him. And we're going to keep praying for the move of God, for the kingdom of God to come and for God's will to be done. And they are passionately praying. Verse 6. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night. Herod is about to say, all right, Peter, you're next. Death sentence on you. James 1, you're about to be number two. It's about to all go down. And the church is constantly praying. Herod's about to bring him out. It says that night Peter was sleeping. He's bound with two chains between two soldiers. And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. He is one bad dude. First, we have to have 16 soldiers, four squads on him. But that's not enough. We got to bind him with chains. We've got to put him between two soldiers and we need some guards at the door to keep watch over him and the prison. Ooh, because they are terrified of a man who will trust God with his life and be not afraid to say what God puts into his heart. Ooh, that person is a dangerous person in the world's eyes. And they're doing everything they can to lock him up. Mm. Now, we see a few things here about Peter's situation. I just, I just want to point out a few things here. Peter is facing a death sentence. Peter is chained up. Peter is chained between two soldiers, and he's in a prison secured with guards. That's four things. Prison, Peter has a death sentence. He's chained up. He's chained between two soldiers, and he's in a prison secured with guards. That would be enough to make me think, this looks like an impossible situation. This is probably going to be the end for Peter. But remember, there's a church that's praying. And just because the situation looks impossible to us, doesn't mean that we don't stop and pray for them in that moment. Because it doesn't matter if you're in a prison between two guards with chains and with a death sentence. God sees, God knows, and God's greater than all four of those impossibilities. Amen? So don't let whatever situation you're facing today that to you looks like an impossibility be what stops you from seeking God about that thing. Because see, I know what we do because I'm a part of we. I'm a me just like you. And I tend to want to evaluate God's ability by my own perception of the situation. I kind of want to assess whether or not this is prayer worthy by whether or not I think God could actually do something in it. If it looks a little impossible, I tend to diminish my prayer sometimes. Anybody else with me on that? Or you just saw that much more spiritual than me? <laughs> that happens to us sometimes. We want to evaluate the situation by our own logic. We want to evaluate the situation 
based on what we have been educated about or know about or think could happen and determine then the amount of prayer that we're going to offer up about it. And some things we would never say out loud, but we practice with our life with a statement that sounds something like this. I just don't know if God's going to be able to do that. <laughs> so we end up praying safe prayers. Lord, be with them. Lord, let them know you're there. Lord, show up. Nothing wrong with those prayers. I prayed them. But those are all safe. I don't know what the church was doing when Peter was in prison, but I know they were constantly praying. And this situation looked very, very impossible. Let's go on. Verse 7. Now, behold. Luke is writing the book of Acts, and he's a very detailed guy. He's a doctor. And he says, now look, i, I got to tell you something. He said, I've told you this, the facts up to this point. I've told you the story that's going on. I've told you what you see from an earthly perspective. But, but now look. An angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. What? That sounds like crazy stuff. That sounds like story time. That sounds like fairy tale stuff. But let me assure you, this is the word of God. This is the, the word of God that is without error. This is truth. This is a true story. An angel shows up where Peter is in prison and a light shone around him in the prison. Really? Did they have some LED lights put in there? What happened? I don't know. But it was a light that showed up and it's bright all of a sudden because it's night in the prison. They're sleeping. It's dark. But some things are happening. An angel shows up and a light turns on and the angel begins to do something. The angel doesn't just whisper. It says here, he struck him. He struck Peter. So you just imagine Alan, you know, he's, he's dozed off. Not that he would do that in church. I mean, just, you know, any other situation. You know, Alan's here and the angel comes up and, hey. It's not a, sorry, Alan, sorry. It's not an easy touch. It's not a, Hey, hey, Heather. <laughs> if I need to wake her up in the morning, that's kind of how I do that. <laughs> not because she'd be grouchy if I woke her up any other way, but, you know, no, 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 I'm not saying that at all. I need to go on. Uh, this angel strikes Peter. Hey! And he says, get up. Get up quickly. This is not a time for you to rub your eyes, try to assess where you are, yawn a few times, stretch your legs, get up. Now, and it says, and his chains fell off his hands. Verse 8, then the angel said to him, gird yourself, tie on your sandals. In other words, get dressed, put your shoes on. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. Verse 9. So he went out and followed him and did not know what was done or if the, what the angel had done was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. It's all crazy stuff. All Peter knows is that he closed his eyes and went to sleep between two guards wearing some chains in the darkness. Instantly woke up, angel in the room, light shines in the room, hit by the angel, struck by the angel, get up, put your clothes on, put your shoes on, get your stuff, follow me. We're heading out the door. Mm. So, verse 9. As I read it, he went out, followed him, and here's the deal. What's funny about verse 9, it says that Peter said, or, or Luke records it and says that Peter didn't know if this was all real or not. This feels like a dream. This feels like some kind of strange thing that's happening inside my head while I'm sleeping. The cool thing is, Peter does what he ought to do in his dream. He follows the angel. 
he gets up and does the right thing. Wouldn't that be an awesome dream to have? That God gives you some impossible task and you do it in the dream? It'd be amazing, huh? Faith inside your dream. Dream inside your dream. Inception. Here we go. So he does that. He's thinking he's seeing a vision. Verse 10. But when they were past the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city. So it's late. It's dark. Peter and the angel are like, they're just strolling right on out of this place. They get past the two guards who are still sleeping, by the way. They leave them. The chains fall off. Apparently don't make enough sound to wake anybody up. And they just walk right on out there. They get past guard post one, guard post two, and they're about to be home free. There's just one big iron gate between them and freedom. A big door, an iron gate. There are sometimes felt like between you and what you hope for, there's some bars. There's a gate that just seems closed. Like, yeah, I know I've come this far, but that thing right there standing in the way is big, it's heavy. I don't have the key. No one wants me to get out that place. But freedom's on the other side. And this is where Peter is. They came to the iron gate that leads to the city. Look what it says in verse 10. Which opened to them of its own accord. Hmm. Now, Luke uses a beautiful figure of speech that to us we just kind of read through like, okay, I get it. The gate opened on its own accord. It's the idea that the gate had a mind, had a will, had a choice in the matter, and that the gate all of a sudden said, I think I'll open. I know it's late. I don't know why, but I feel like I just want to open. And it does. It opens. It's interesting, the word used here for accord is the word that we get today, our word automatic. Automatically. This gate opened automatically. And it's not because they've been to Home Depot and gotten a garage door opener, installed it on their gate opener, just this is not what's going on here at all. But sometimes we have things that come up in our life. Sometimes we have things that are inanimate objects in our life. Sometimes we have a situation in our life and we think, I don't know how I'm going to get past that. That thing is in the way. And we sometimes think that thing has a mind of its own, that it's against us, that it's holding us, that it's its ability to swing closed or open is what's affecting us. We like to think that things like Physical illness has a mind of its own, its own accord. We like to think that a job situation has its own accord. We like to think that a set of circumstances that are difficult and painful have their own accord, like they have a mind in this deal that they can decide what's going on. They can, they can choose whether or not we move forward or not. I'm sorry, I keep reaching for this thing. <laughs> And this gate opens. But let me assure you, it is not because this gate had something inside it. If it had anything, it had the hand of God on it, reaching out and moving it and opening it up for Peter to walk through. There is no object, circumstance, thing, person in your life that has any greater power in it than the God who controls and reigns over it. And when God wants to move something and remove something and change something, he will. He can do it. And you say, well, I believe that, but I don't ever see that happen in my life. I'd like to see more of that happen in my life. Let me remind you why that gate opened. Because there was a church who was praying for Peter in this moment. And God loves to move things when people are praying God loves to remove some things when people are praying. 
He can move things whenever he wants, but I know from Scripture what he wants is that he wants his people to pray because that's when he loved to show himself strong. He gets glory in that, and he loves that. He wants to show us himself. He wants to show us his power. He's looking for people who, like this church, will say, I'm going to pray. I know the situation looks impossible. I know it's got four elements to it that just seem like there's no way it could ever be undone. But I love this passage because although there were four things that stood against them, I count eight things that God did instead. I count that the angel appeared to Peter. I count that a light shined in the prison. I count that an angel spoke to Peter. I count that the chains fell off. I, I count that the guards stayed asleep, that the angel led him, that they went past two guard posts and that a gate opened of its own accord. Four things seem like an impossibility, but God brought eight things to show he's more powerful than our impossibilities. Amen? Amen. It's true. And he's looking for those who will believe him and trust him because he wants to show himself strong. Don't get caught up in your impossibilities. You get caught up in the God of possibilities for there's nothing, 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 nothing impossible for him. That means you got to change your vocabulary. You got to change your mind. You got to change how you think and stop putting things in your life in the impossible category. You've got to make a shift. You got to make a change. You got to be like this church that chooses to pray and believe that all things are possible and that nothing is impossible for God. Amen? All right. So verse 11, let's just keep on going here and see what happens. Verse 11, it says that when Peter had come to himself, that's a good thing to do, come to yourself and realize, hold up, I'm outside of my prison. I'm outside of where I was. Something new has happened. When Peter came to himself, he said, now, I know for certain that the Lord had sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectations of the Jewish people. It took a little while for Peter to get it. It took a little while for Peter to wake up. It took a little while until he got free that he realized, hold up, this all just really happened. This wasn't a dream. It's real. He's pinching himself. It's real. I'm really, I'm really awake. I'm outside the prison. That gate just opened up. I'm not next to those guards anymore. And he knew that the Lord had delivered him. Verse 12. So when he had considered this, in other words, I got to think about this for a little while. I got to chew on this. I got to think what this means. I've got to consider this. He did. It says, he came to the house of Mary the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Ah, here we are. Peter goes to the place where the church had been gathered to pray. And we don't even know that Peter knew they were there. And they sure don't know that Peter's about to show up right there. But see, I don't pray just because I see what's happening and working. I pray even when I don't see it because I know he's working. Even when you don't see it, he's working. Even when you don't feel it, he's working. That's right. And these people are gathered together and they're constantly praying. They're praying, they're praying, they're praying for Peter. I'm not sure what they're praying, but they're praying and God moves. God does something miraculous. God sets Peter free. You've got people in your life, you've got some circumstances in your life that you've been praying for. Don't stop because you haven't seen an answer yet. Don't stop because you don't see how he's working now. You keep praying, you keep believing because God honors those who believe and he'd love to show himself strong on behalf of those who trust him. Mm. 
He came to the house. They're gathered and praying, verse 13. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. So Peter, he's like bad guy number one in the area. If there was a post office that had wanted pictures in it, which young people, that's what they used to do. If you went into the post office, there were pictures of the most wanted people in your area, in your state, there on the wall. Peter was that guy. Peter's the guy that like, I can't let anybody see my face. This is late at night. So when he shows up at that house, at Mark's house, he's like, it's late at night. Have you ever got a knock on your door late at night? It's not ever a good thing, is it? It's not. I remember when we were living in Middle Ocean years ago, we were asleep. We don't have many kids at this point, as many as we do now, and grandkids. And we're tired, and all of a sudden, it's not, it's not one of these, it's one of these. Oh my gosh, when I hear that, and I jump up, and I run in there, and I can see out the window police lights. That is the worst feeling in the world, right? So I open the door, and of course, big police officer there. Okay, I'm, I'm just ready. Like, go ahead and say it. It's some terrible, terrible news. You know, you're just terrified in this moment. I said, sir, your garage door's open. <laughs> Woo! Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, officer. That is great. I appreciate that. We had one of these, you know, automatic door opener things, and uh, we had a cat or two or something at the time, and, you know, push the button, door goes down, cat, door, and then it blinks to let you know your door's open. That's what was going on when the police drove by that night, and he banged on my door and said, hey, your garage door's open. Terrifying for me. I've had some other knocks on the door in the middle of the night that were not so pleasant, and here's Peter banging on the door. I got to get inside. I got to get out of this, this area out here. I don't want to be seen right now. And Peter is knocking on the door. And it says, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. A little behind the scenes here. Rhoda means rose. Just hold on to that. She's about to be a beautiful rose to a group of people in need. Verse 14, when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. What? <laughs> Peter's like, hey, let me in. He's probably more like, hey, let me in. But she recognizes, she hears the knocking. She didn't have a peephole. She just hears his voice and says, it's Peter. It's one of those slow motion moments like, oh. she's running back to go tell the group. You think, Rhoda, what are you doing? Let him in. Aren't you going to do something? Don't you want to make sure it's not someone pulling a trick on you? Don't you want to make sure this is a real deal? Don't you want to check it out, Rhoda? I mean, this could be a lot of different things. Rhoda, don't you want to check this out first? But I'm convinced Rhoda was a person of faith, and all she needed to hear was a word from Peter, and she was ready to go say, he's out. You see, that's what happens when you have real hope and faith. All you need to hear is a word, and it's enough for you. You don't have to see all the results. You don't have to see all the physical evidence. All you got to do is just hear a word. Just tell me a word, God. Just give me one word. Just give me the go. Just give me the yes. Just give me the word, God, and I'll go. And she does, and she's back inside the house to go tell them that Peter is here, and Peter's still out there. Hello? She recognized Peter's verse, uh, voice, verse 14, because of her gladness, not because of her weakness. She did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Verse 15, but they, the church, said to her, you are beside yourself. That is nice New King James language for, you're a crazy woman. You've lost your mind. 
something's happened to you. You must have, I don't know what happened to you, but you're crazy. <laughs> they, they as a group. It doesn't say that one of them said, hey, you're crazy. It said they all, they. I don't know how many people are gathered, but it says this is the church gathered. It's a group of people. I don't know if it's 10, if it's 100, but they're gathered in this place and they're praying. They're believing God. And they say to the one who's got a word from God, you are crazy. <laughs> it goes on and says, they said, it is his angel. Now see, there was some belief at the time that every person had their own angel. I'm not saying that's biblical because it's not. But they believed that at the time, some in the group, and they said, it must be his angel who showed up. Verse 16, now Peter continued knocking. Hey, hey, is someone in there? Rhoda, somebody, hey, I'm out here. Somebody let me in. Somebody open this door. Come on. They're going to be out here looking for me. What are you doing? I just, I got, a, I got something to tell you. I just saw an angel. I just came out of prison. I, 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 let me in, please. And the church that's inside, they're praying they're praying. At this point, I have to wonder, what were they praying? <laughs> if they were praying, let Peter be free. God set him free. God bring him out. Then when he showed up and Rhoda said, Peter is here, they should have all said, yes, God. Woo, you answered our prayer. But apparently that's not what they were praying. They might have been praying something like, Lord, be with him. Lord, keep him safe. Help him through this difficult time in his life. It's funny because that's how we pray. You got to wonder, what were they praying? They were more willing to believe that she was crazy than that God actually set Peter free. They were more willing to believe that there was an angel at the door than that God had truly set Peter free. What were they praying? They were more willing to not trust her in this situation and to call her insane than to believe that God had just worked a miracle. And this is the New Testament, not the Old Testament. This is in our time period in which the Holy Spirit has been given as a gift and we are the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? So it says here, Peter kept knocking and when they opened the door, they must have finally thought, we either got to go open the door and get her quiet, or we're going to have to go see if this thing's real. Either case, they opened the door. They all got up from their prayer circle. They all got up from their time of praying for Peter, and they went and finally opened the door. They opened the door. Peter just had a door open of its own accord, and he can't even get this one to open right now because they wouldn't open the door. God had answered their prayer and had put a door right there with the answer on the other side of it, and they wouldn't open the door. How many times does an answer from God come straight to your house? Walk up on your porch, knock on your door, and you say, eh, I don't know about that. I don't know if I can really believe that the Lord is with me at all times. 
I don't know that I can believe that his favor is for me. I don't know that I can believe he's actually forgiven all my sins. I don't know that I can actually believe I can walk in the confidence of faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know that I can walk in the confidence that he's working all things together for my good. I don't know that I can walk in the confidence that I should turn the other cheek instead of strike them back for what they did to me. I don't know if I can walk in the confidence of all those promises. And all the while, God is knocking on the door saying, I'm right here. You've been praying. I've got an answer for you. And just because you don't understand it, it doesn't go against with your logic. It doesn't go with your understanding. Doesn't mean you shouldn't get up and answer the door. If God says, come to the door, I've got something for you. That's your opportunity to say, yes, sir. I have a hard time understanding God, but I'm going to open the door. If God puts a door in front of you, open it, believe him, trust him, because the answer is on the other side. They opened the door and saw him. They were astonished. Woo, all of a sudden, they were in awe. They had a worship moment. They were filled with wonder at what God had done because they chose to open the door. Mm. How many doors? How much knocking is it going to take for you to go ahead and open the door? Do what God has called you to do. Step out in faith. Believe him. Trust him. It's here with the gathered church that the power becomes exponential. I think about how important Rhoda was in this situation. Can you imagine if Rhoda had not have been there that night? If Rhoda had said, eh, I'm going to stay home tonight from church. I'm just going to, you know, do some things. They needed Rhoda that night because Rhoda was hope to them. And everybody needs somebody in your circle, in your group, in your crew, in your family. That's the voice of Rhoda. Because it's a lot easier in this world today to just look around and say a bunch of negative stuff. To believe, a, to believe the other group's news. To believe what is being told to you and what you've always thought than what God is saying to you. And here in this moment, Rhoda became hope. Because here's what hope does. Hope prays with expectation that if I pray, God hears and God moves. That's what God's looking for. People who will pray and actually expect him to work. Hope gets up and goes to the door. Hope doesn't just keep sitting there. Hope doesn't just say, eh, I don't know if that's going to happen. Hope says, this has got to be God. Let's go. Hope doesn't need to see in order to believe Hope only needs to hear a word from God. Hope doesn't stop believing because the majority doesn't see it. Hope doesn't stop believing because the majority doesn't see it. If they had taken a vote that night, how many people are in favor of us going to the door to see if Peter is in this area. All in favor? Rhoda. I have, a, I have an idea. It probably wouldn't have been this. It would have been... It would have been that. Hope doesn't look around and take the pulse of the room before it decides on what God has told him to do. You don't look around and say, mm, I wonder what people are going to think if I say this. I wonder what people are going to do if I do this. I wonder what other people think. I need to get their opinion first before I believe this thing. I need to find out what other... Hope is not afraid of the majority being in opposition. And hope doesn't even mind being called crazy. You crazy, Rhoda? 
You call me what you want, but Peter's still outside. You lost your mind, Rhoda. Well, you can say that if you want, but Peter's still out there. Rhoda, you don't even have a you don't even have a brain in that head of yours. Say what you want. Peter's still outside that door knocking. God's looking for people today who will say, I'm not afraid of the majority anymore. I'm willing to be a minority of one with God even when the majority is opposed to me. And I'm willing to even be called crazy for believing God. This is what hope does. Hope answers the door. Hope gets up. Hope believes. And hope refuses to be silent. She didn't listen to their, you crazy, it's an angel, you're wrong, you don't know what you're talking about. She didn't hear that and say, okay, I'm sorry. She said, I'm going to tell you again, Peter's at the door. Sit down, Rhoda, Peter's still at the door. Sit down, Rhoda, you're crazy. No, Peter's at the door. This is the day and time to say, Jesus is Lord. Sit down, church, you don't have a place in this in this discussion today. I'm telling you, Jesus is Lord. Church, I'm gonna tell you one more time. Get back in your place in your, in your building on a Sunday. You don't play in this discussion today. I'm telling you, the answer to what's going on in our world today is Jesus Christ. Church, get back in there, you crazy. I'm gonna say it again. Jesus is at the door and he's knocking. And this better be your time that you answer it because he's standing there. Church, get out of here. Mm, I feel relevant all of a sudden. And all up in the middle of everything going on. When I read this passage this week, it lit a fire in me. I don't want to look around and take the pulse and temperature of the area and decide how far I'm going to go in my faith. I want to be the one that says, God, what you say is what I believe. Your truth is the truth. I'm not here to compare and contrast it with the world's, with their ideas. Your truth is the truth. I also get personally excited because I believe that the answers to our situation today are not primarily political, are not primarily social. They are spiritual, and it begins right there. Oh, I agree. It shows up in social, and I agree it shows up in political. But change whatever you want about the culture or the politics of the day right now. Snap your fingers and change it all, and we are still in the exact same spot now. Because you can't change the laws of this land and expect the hearts of people to change. You can enforce all you want. You can stiffen the penalties. You can write it deeper. You can shout it louder. More laws do not make people do right. Policeman in the room said. <laughs> it's true. It's true. If you see a speed limit sign on the road, you don't have to be too honest here. What does it make you want to do? <laughs> yeah. Seven over, speed a little bit, or <laughs> right? The only, <laughs> the only time there's going to be change is when a heart gets changed. The answer for our situation today is only in the gospel of Jesus Christ getting into the hearts of people today. Until there's no inward change, there'll be no more outward change. We, the church, hold in our hands the treasure that unlocks that heart in people. This is not our time to sit back on the sideline. This is not our time to sit back and criticize. This is our time to share the message of truth that has the only potential for changing this world and our nation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, I want us to be some rotas. I don't want us to be this church group 
who was so busy praying that when the answer came, all they could do was say, nah, that can't be it. We're just praying that Peter will die soon. We're just praying that Peter will go on to heaven. We're just praying that he'll be set free soon. And God said, I got another plan. God is at work today in our world. Even when you don't see it, he's working. Even when you don't feel it, he's working. He's working right now. I want to be the group of people. I want to be the Rhoda church. I'm wrestling with a cheap pun right now. The church on Old Villa Rhoda, who's willing to believe. <laughs> Come on now. It works. <laughs> That's right. I'm done. Thank you. Now, I want us to be that. I want us to be that, that group who's willing to get up and say, he's at the door. He's at the door. He's here. Come on, everybody. Let's go. Let's see him. He's here. He's at work. He's present. He's powerful. He's answered prayer. Let us be those people. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me today? Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word that is powerful, that is alive, that is true, and that you have called us as your church to stand in the confidence of that truth. You've called us to believe you are with us. You are for us. Your face is shining toward us, not because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to us. Not because of what we have done, but because of what you have done. We stand as the church today in you, in your son. We believe that your favor is toward us. We believe that you're working for us. And may we be quick to have hope and not dismiss. May we be quick to have hope and not just criticize. May we be quick to have hope and not just call names, but get up, trust you, believe, and then be astonished at what you've done. May we be that kind of people today. May we believe and stand in confidence. God, we're asking you to transform our society today. I'm asking for an earth-shaking, soul-rattling revival to sweep our land. That may seem impossible right now from where we sit. In my eyes, there's some elements to that. But I know you've called us to have faith and to believe that you are the God who does what we think is impossible. So I'm asking for there to be a change, a change that comes to our land, that you would humble hearts, that you would bring repentance, that you would bring brokenness, that you'd bring a sense of despair that would cause everybody to stop looking for their own answers and turn to you as the only answer. I pray we'd look for something more than just government and laws to answer the problems of our day, but to see you as the one who is the king over your kingdom and the king above all kings who alone can change our culture today. God, I'm praying for that. We will continue to pray for that as your church, and we'll be ready to jump up and answer the door when you show up. Father, in faith, we believe all this today. We trust in your promises old faith we're believing you will do the impossible we pray in Jesus name amen